Hello everybody, we are back after uh, a little break. We had some scheduling conflicts, but I am Ronan here at the University of Arizona. And I'm Jake here at the University of Washington. We have an action-packed schedule for you today, starting off. Uh, we're not going to be talking about school uh, this episode, just because there's nothing really new to tell. So we're going to talk about some baseball. So we're going to talk about the season start, some standout players, some pliers, players, some disappointing players, and our overall thoughts and opinions of how the season has gone so far. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about a controversial issue over the last few weeks, the new Cleopatra documentary, which uh, has some people complaining about the retcon of history. But uh, let's get into it. How do you think the Mets season has started so far, Mr. Jake? Well, I, I can say firsthand that roughly about three hours ago, I was uh, talking to my dad about this, and I'm pretty sure I said the exact words, you know, the Mets are pretty shit this year. I mean, they're not like, they're at 500, which is like, you know, it's like slightly below average, but like for a team who has the highest bankroll in all of MLB history, whose rotation it costs roughly $128 million. They're pretty bad. Pretty bad. I'm pretty sure and like Lin more than like the Mets, or what's it called, the Rays and the Pirates payroll put together. <laughs> and they're both in first. And like Lindor, for example, the amazing shortstop that the Mets have, who is going to carry the team to all the playoffs with all his hitting, I'm pretty sure has hit 180 in the last 10 games. No, the last 16 games. So the first half of the season, he was hitting like 250. And now the second half up until now, he's been hitting 180. And they pay him like $25 million a year, I think. Yeah, he's down to a 212 batting average overall on the season. It's, it's really disappointing. And like, obviously there was the whole thing with the sticky substance stuff that Scherzer had where... He probably, you know, well, he was illegally using too much rosin on his glove, and the umpire deemed that he had too much, so he had to miss 10 games, along with postponements, so it really was 13 games. And that was a little dent, but as a whole, the schedule and the roster that the Mets have just put together, that they spent so much money on, it's just not there. Plus, Senga, who is from the Japanese leagues, he still hasn't fully adjusted to MLB playtime. So he still, like, is only playing one game every seven games instead of every five games, like a normal rotation. And I'm pretty sure the Mets have done two bullpen games already this year, which is like, you know, we've only been playing for a month and a, and a bit, you know. You kind of want to, like, have your starting rotation last at least a month. But I don't know. At least Verlander came back and pitched a amazing game where the Mets hit zero but you know what can you do yeah and it's kind of back to the I, I was thinking about this and it's kind of back to the uh, good old Mets where it's just like oh they're 500 and we don't really care about it and we're sort of just watching for fun and we don't really actually care which on the one hand I kind of like but then on the other hand when I want to actually go and watch a game and it costs like $45 for me to like sit in the bleachers and buy a hot dog because we're paying so much for all of these pitchers that don't pitch, then I'm a little upset. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from a Yankees fan perspective, the season has started. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's been weird. Like, the Yankees are fifth place. That's bad. They're also one game out of the wild card. And every team in the AL East is above 500. Mm-hmm. And has a positive run differential. So, it, it's kind of hard to say. We're going to have to wait a bit more to see. Uh, we'll have to see how fast Judge comes back. I mean, if we're doing, like, above 500 with Judge out and no Rodon and basically half of our rotation doesn't exist, we have one pitcher, one and a half pitchers. We have Garrett Cole and we have Nestor. But Nestor hasn't been so good so far. Oh, so, that's terrible. I know. It hurts. But, you know, we're working on it. Of course, overall with the seasons, I mean, the biggest talking point is the Rays. They went, like, four, thir- it was 13 games without losing. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, that's while pay- playing the last place team in, like, four out of the six divisions. So, I mean, it's still, to agree, impressive. Like, that's still difficult to do. But they weren't beating first place teams. Yeah. Uh, another big team that's been uh, questionably good is the Pirates. Uh, I don't understand. I can't name a single Pirates pitcher. And besides Cabrian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, and O'Neill Cruz, I have no idea who's on their roster. It's a bunch of nobodies. But they've I didn't been... actually know it. I I don't. I still don't know any names in the Padre, uh, Pirates. I just learned those three that you just rattled <laughs> off right now. Yeah, but they're eight games over five hundred, which is they interesting. They lead the division. They lead the division. So are the Texas Rangers, who are only one game ahead of the Angels of all people, know, with the right? Astros in third. Their pitching and their hitting has been. Also highly questionable. So the whole start of the season has been, to say unexpected, I think is an understatement. Yeah. Like baseball's kind of known for its unpredictability, but this was very unpredictable. I feel like the only divisions that, I mean, also another thing too is like the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like the Arizona Diamondbacks have been playing better than the Padres. Yeah, but they were always, like, a, a, a sleeper pick, you know? Yeah, true, but true. But I think people thought they could sneak into a wild card, not be better than the Padres. Yeah. But, I mean, this is why I didn't pick the Padres to be better than the Dodgers when there was so much hype around them. They just don't got the pitching. And so far, yeah. their offense has been meh like, at best. Soto's been so underwhelming in San Diego. The last few games, he's been hot, though. Mm-hmm. You're right, but season as a whole, underwhelming so far. I mean, the most underwhelming season probably has to go to Philadelphia, like the Phillies. True. Uh, After in making it to the World Series. Fourth and place, being, yeah. Um, actually, I don't know. Maybe the Astros might be the most underwhelming. I mean, they're yeah. should on paper, they are far and away the best team in that division. Yeah. Unlike the other divisions where there's not really a clear lead, like there's like one or two that could possibly do it that people thought, but Houston should be far and away the best, and they have not been. Another really disappointing team has been Seattle. 
They're below 500. Yeah, I mean, they've won like a like they've won like four games in a row now. Yeah, they they've have sort of like they hit their stride I think a little bit, but I still feel like they have they don't have that like team cohesion necessarily. Like they have a lot of like above average players, but I feel like they don't have all their niches filled, if that makes any sense. Like when yeah. I went and watched a Mariners game against the Angels, <clears throat> excuse me, at the beginning of the year, it was kind of just like they were doing everything, but they were but they weren't necessarily doing one thing particularly well. Like they had a home run in the game, but they had like but it was just like a nothing home run. It was like a meaningless home run when the Angels were already up four one. They had decent bullpen pitching that pitched five innings and only gave up one run, but there wasn't enough runs to answer the call from the side of the Mariners because they just didn't score that much. They got tons of singles, but they never were able to get consecutive singles. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, statistically, the Mariners are a good team, but it's all, like, spread out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And then the worst team, of course, in the league goes to Oakland. And, I mean, they just announced they're moving to Vegas, so... Hopefully, oh, really? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, they bought land in Vegas. They're, they're, they said 2076, 2027-ish. They're going out to Vegas, so... Damn. Hopefully when they get there, they'll have a better team. That sucks for Oakland. They lost the Raiders, and now they're losing the A's. And the Warriors. The Warrior, the Golden State Warriors used to play in Oakland. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. to San Francisco. So they lost everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks to be in Oakland there. You know, Oakland's bigger than San Francisco. I didn't know that. Like in terms of area or in terms of people? Both. Like one of the guys on my ultimate Frisbee team at university is from Oakland. And I was like, Oakland? What's what's in Oakland? And he's like like 800,000 people and like the largest county in the Bay Area. And I'm like, oh, damn. Oakland. Granted, this guy also did get, you know, mugged in front of a Whole Foods, so, you know, <laughs> in Oakland. Still. That's like a yeah. Bay Area thing, though. The, yeah. The, the videos is. of the Walmarts and the Walgreens in the Bay Area, how literally everything is locked up. Yeah. Yeah, they got some problems over there, but that's not the point of this video. Uh, no, it isn't. We're going to talk about some uh, standout players. Mm-hmm. See, my favorite standout player is, of course, Garrett Cole. Uh, 135 <laughs> ERA, .9 whip, 46 innings pitch leading the majors, has not given up a home run, which is usually his weakness. He gives up home runs, but has oh. not given up a home run in 46 innings so far. Wow. Uh, and That's he good. has what is it? Strikeouts. 52 strikeouts so far in 46 innings. No losses yet. He has one shutout, one complete game. So he has been outstanding. Mm-hmm. The year. One of the reasons, like, you see Garrett Cole come in the game, you know the Yankees are getting a win. Except for the other day when Clay Holmes blew the lead in the ninth inning with one out. But we don't yeah. talk about that. No. Why would we? <laughs> And of course, you got uh, Sonny Gray too, who's been absolutely insane. 
in some ways less than Cole, in some ways more than Cole. He has a .77 ERA, so better than Cole, but in thir only 35 innings, 41 strikeouts, 1.057 whip. So he mm -hmm. has an ERA advantage on Cole, but otherwise Cole has been overall a better pitcher. He is leading the majors in ERA plus with a 5.63 and a 2.05 FIP. Also has not given up a home run this year. So we've got some excellent pitchers actually. Yeah. Starting the year. And what's crazy too is how they've kind of adapted to the pitch timer pretty well. Yeah, I thought there would be some more issues, but it uh appears not to be. So that was one of the few players that has me as a Yankees fan upset because, of course, Sonny Gray used to be on the Yankees. The other one is uh, Aroldis Chapman, who now mm -hmm. with the Rays has – he was doing a little bit better. He had like a 1.4 ERA. He has since gone up to 3.09, but still mm -hmm. thousands of times better than he was with the Yankees when he left. Then you, of course, got Joey Gallo, who I wanted on the team for, like, literally years, begging them to trade for him. They did. He sucked. <laughs> now, in 63 at-bats, he has seven homers with 961 OPS, slugging 619. I mean, insane numbers. And at one point, we also had Jorge Mateo on the Yankees. And he's might have been one of the big best players all season. He's batting 321, six homers, 968 OPS, 165 OPS plus. So now we have Damn. like four ex Yankees <laughs> doing really well outside of the Yankees. Yeah, uh, that's upsetting. I think the best player so far to start the season, at least in terms of hitting has been uh, Matt Chapman. 351 batting average in 114 at-bats, five homers, 435 on base, 614 slugging, 1049 OPS. Damn. Yeah. Wait, what did you say his average was? 351. Okay. okay. Well, after you're done, I, I want to say something. Uh, go ahead. What do you want to say? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, um, Ronaldo Acuna Jr., you know, the the like a uh, standout hitter on the Braves his average this year so far is 354 and he already has 20 RBIs for reference in all of last season he only had 50 he was so, also hurt though he played true but like uh, he's had a quarter of the at-bats total so far but he's had two-fifths of the RBIs mm -hmm. he did play 120 games last year too so he was in for a decent amount of time so if he has the amount of at-bats that he has last year when he was injured, he's still going to have, at least if he keeps his current pace, he'll have around 80 RBIs. But obviously you have issues and problems. But if he doesn't get injured, he'll definitely get there, which is not very good if, as me as a Mets fan, but it's still very impressive. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, there's also been... Uh... Part of disappointing players. Mm -hmm. I know all about that. <laughs> Max Scherzer. <laughs> Lindor. 
Lindor. Um, basically, everyone that pitches for the Mets except Senga. <laughs> yeah. Max All Scherzer, 556 ERA so far in 22 innings. We're not, we're not talking about it. <laughs> uh, who else can we make fun of on the Mets? Uh, Francisco Lindor, 212 yep. batting average, 746 OPS. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. So, uh, yeah. There, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of disappointing players on there the Mets. I haven't actually looked at Julio Rodriguez's stats on the uh, Mariners, how he's doing this year compared to last year. He was slumping for a little bit, but he broke the slump. He's batting 223, five homers, yeah. 293 on base, 413 slugging, 706 OPS. So he's been yeah. slumping quite a bit. Yeah, 706 is, you know, kind of kind of bad. Yeah, 98 <laughs> OPS bad. plus, so he's below... Right now, he's below the average hitter. Yeah. I don't know. Last year was definitely the year to be a double, uh, to be a Seattle Mariners fan, but we'll see. You know, maybe they'll surprise us like they did last <laughs> season, but my hopes aren't high. Yeah. That's that's a little. Oh, rough. did you see the uh, Mariners got City Connect jerseys and they're literally like carbon copies of the old Seattle uh, Pilots jerseys. I saw them. I know they got them. I didn't look at them though. Yeah, like the only thing that they changed was the colors, basically the font. Like they changed the colors a little bit. Like they're not the exact colors of yellow and blue, and they made the brim of the hat black. But they have the old, like, pilot symbol on their baseball cap. I don't know if the Yankees are ever going to get a City Connect jersey. People might riot if they're not good enough. Yeah, I feel like the Yankees are kind of like, we have had the same uniforms for years. We never change. Yeah. I feel like the Mets would get a City Connect jersey. That feels like something that Cohen would do to, like, make money. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> it's 100% coming. Just when is the? It's only a matter of time. If they're contractually obligated to have a city connect, the Yankees will obviously eventually have one. I don't like, see the point in like forcing teams to have one though. It's like cool, but it's kind of like. Uh, for money, the MLB wants the money. That's why. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so let's go on to overall thoughts and opinions. Uh, the biggest thought of all is, uh, don't give a team. Uh, four or five series in a row of some of the easiest teams in the league. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, Mr. Reyes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> overall, the season has probably been one of the strangest starts to a season uh, I think we've ever had. There's been... In living memory. Yeah. There's like four or five divisions where who's in first doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. What I'm excited for is the Rangers and the Angels are playing a series. Like, the first game is tonight, and they have three in a row. So it's the battle for who's going to be the king of the AL West. Ooh, that's going to be fun. So, like, if the Rangers sweep the Angels, they basically have the keys to the West for probably the next 10 to 15 games. Mm-hmm. And they, but if the vice versa happens, then the Angels will be in the lead, and it'll be more of a toss-up because you know the Angels are currently in second. 
Yeah. Oh, no. The Mariners just took the lead over the Yankees. Still really? Got, uh, or not the Mariners, the Rays. Five to four. Oh. Oh, no. It, it, it's okay. Uh, the Boston and Philadelphia are now tied at three. Uh, oh, okay. The Chicago White Sox lead Cincinnati uh, 5-4. Toronto's still winning 4 nothing over the Pirates, so the Pirates are going to drop another spot. Or yeah. Another game. Milwaukee plays the Giants, so we'll see if they're able to tie them tonight. Okay. And the Baltimore is still beating the Braves. Hmm. So it, it's... Yeah, it's definitely been... The Rays are not a bad team. I just think they're an overhyped team. Yeah. You know? Like, once they played the Blue Jays, a good team, now they're playing... We'll see what happens when they play the Yankees. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to... They might still come out on top. I mean, Blue Jays, they destroyed them. Except for that one game, last game. Yeah. But... I think the Tampa Bay is a competitive team. I think they're going to be in the fight with the Yankees and the Blue Jays at the end of the season for who's mm-hmm. in first. But I don't think they're going to be like <laughs> keep that five-game lead forever. Like I think they're going to hit a little bit of a cold streak eventually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have any thoughts on the season? Because you're more of a NL person. I kind of just covered the AL. I think that so far I'm def I you've probably touched on this but like I'm still so surprised at how well the Pirates are doing like I don't think that anybody at the start of the season could have been like yep Pirates are going to be better than Milwaukee this year trust me yeah. I mean like they've had a little bit of a slump in the last few games and like I read an article from their like uh, beat newsletter that was like there's nothing to worry about you know every team has a little slump every now and then but it's still like I don't know. It's kind of crazy, especially that St. Louis is also doing so poorly in that division. Like okay, we everyone forgot to ex- talk about that. <laughs> like everyone was expecting it to be kind of like, all right, Milwaukee's gonna have the division. Chicago, who's re- who's forever rebuilding, is gonna be fighting for Cincinnati for the cellar, and then Milwaukee will, br- and then St. Louis will bring up the uh, middle of the pack with Pittsburgh, you know, being doing their regular mediocre stuff. But I it's think just it was the other like, way. St. Louis was supposed to win. That's what I was trying to say, but I said it poorly. <laughs> well, no, you said Milwaukee. Wait, was... I thought Milwaukee was favored to do better than St. Louis. Well, St. Louis was the one that made the postseason. They won last year, the division. True, yeah. Well, but, the, the reason uh, they're not winning is all of their starting rotation pitchers have ERAs in the fives. <laughs> yeah. St. Louis is kind of like pulling a Mets, but like even worse. Yeah. Even the Mets are not <laughs> seeing this hard. Yeah. The Pirates... Like, St. Louis has won one in their last ten. That's really bad. Yeah, I don't know. The Pirates seem to be coming down to earth a little bit. They lost four in a row. They're losing four nothing in the top of the ninth. So... Yeah. <laughs> it seems like the hot streak has come to an end. Yeah. Um, there's also not too much surprising about the West. Like... We touched on the fact that I was a little surprised at how well the Diamondbacks were doing, but it seems like the division is still like pretty fairly organized with San Francisco rebuilding, Colorado perpetually, you know, mediocre, and the Dodgers in the lead, you know. Mm-hmm. 
You know who I'm the most surprised by? What? The Tigers. Really? The Tigers have had a couple good series. Like, they're beating St. Louis now, which is not much to They swept the Mets. They swept the Mets. They won a series against the Astros. They won a series against San Francisco. They won a series against Cleveland, but then got swept by the Orioles. Yeah. And won a series against uh, the Brewers. So, I mean, they're they're below 500. They haven't been that good. (coughs) Sorry. But they have the tools that if they can, like, bring everything together, they'll be good. Mm -hmm. It's not that that's about the tools, though. It's the fact that they beat one series against the Brewers, who are really good. They swept the Mets, who should be really good. They're beating the Cardinals, who should be really good. And they won a series against uh, the Astros, who just won the World Series. But they can't beat the Orioles. Yeah. They get swept by the Orioles. I mean, the Orioles are good. Yeah, but, like, they're not that good. Like, in theory, all all of those teams I just mentioned, St. Louis, the Mets, the Brewers, and obviously the Astros should, not only should be better than Detroit, they should be better than the Orioles. Like, on paper, before the season started, every single one of those teams should have been better than Detroit. Yeah, but Detroit won a series against all of them. Plus, also, Detroit is, like, in probably the, in my opinion at least, the weakest division in all of baseball at the moment. So if they play their cards right, they could definitely have a ticket to the postseason. Maybe, but they are below 500. (laughs) Yeah, but, like... They're below 500, but their last 10 games have been pretty good games. And if they can continue the pace they're setting, they could beat most teams. Mm-hmm. Like, if they can beat the Astros the, um, and the Mets, then, I mean, the Mets aren't so good. But if you can, like, beat the Astros and, like, continue that momentum, I could definitely see them doing much better. And Milwaukee yeah. as well. Milwaukee is a, still a pretty good team. Yeah. But we'll have to see them against teams like, say, Pittsburgh or the Dodgers or the Braves. They destroyed the Mets. <laughs> yeah. Um, or the Yankees or, you know, any team in the AL East, basically. <laughs> yeah. AL East seems to be the benchmark yeah, this if you year. Can beat, if you can beat someone in the AL East, then you're probably – you have a chance. <laughs> Guess Cleveland does not have a chance. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, move on to the Cleopatra documentary. Okay. This is uh, interesting. I don't really understand Netflix's choice here. It's not just that they casted a black actor. Like That's not really the problem. It's the fact that they're doubling down on the idea that Cleopatra was black, which she was not. So, one line of her family was Greek, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know who the other parent was, but if it wasn't Greek, it was Egyptian. Or it was, like, some Greek, Egyptian, or other foreigner hybrid kind of mixing. Yeah, but it was probably some mix of Greek or Egyptian. Mm -hmm. Greek people are obviously not black. They can be pretty pasty. We speak mm-hmm. from experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, Egyptians 
are also not black. Like, Egyptians are not mythical figures. They exist today. You could go to Egypt. They are also not black. So I don't really understand where this notion is coming from, you know? I think that what it is is because I'm currently, as I've told you, but I don't know if other people know, but I'm in an Egyptology class right now. Technically, it's ancient Egyptian archaeology, but we do talk about Egyptology at times. And I think that what it has to do is that, at least in modern Egyptology, which is very influenced by a few universities around the country, especially the University of Chicago, is this kind of like idea of sort of like re-examining how like we viewed Egypt in the past. Because obviously there's been a lot of whitewashing of Egyptian history by European historians. And I think that they're trying to roll some of that back. But in creating this documentary, you've sort of like gone like in like a direction that hasn't been fully like solidified. Like we still, we don't know what ancient Egyptians looked like in like 3000 BC. We don't know what ancient Egyptians looked like at the time of Cleopatra. Heck, we don't even really know what ancient Egyptians looked like before the Muslim conquests in 600 AD. So I feel like there's definitely a camp of Egyptologists, and that's like sort of the camp that uh, some of the faculty at the University of Washington fall into, where it's kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter if she's played by a black actress, because to a certain extent, the way that people looked in Egypt wasn't very important. It was much more about where you were from in ancient Egypt in ancient Egypt that was more important. And then you have another camp that are like, well, the way that you look is obviously extremely important because everyone thinks everyone describes people and how they look. And I feel like there's merits to both of those things. Like for historical realism, it's definitely important to have actors that sort of look like what other actors look like. Like if you're making a World War II documentary, you probably wouldn't want some like you probably wouldn't want a uh, like a actor that was like six foot three and like uh, I don't know Italian playing Franklin Delano Roosevelt because that wouldn't be an accurate representation of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Just like you probably don't want somebody that doesn't accurately display Cleopatra playing Cleopatra. It's just that the problem is we don't know what she looks like, so it's like that weird haze zone where it does does it matter or does it not matter? You know what I mean? I um so the problem one is that for me is that like to gr- to some degree yes there is some question but um what's it called? Uh it's the fact that Netflix is pretending like this is like an absolute fact. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, I definitely... Oh, no. You finish. You finish. Like, there's, like, no doubt in anybody's mind about uh, what's uh, what Cleopatra looks like. She's like, nope, nope. was just whitewashing. She was 100% black. And it's like, was she, though? You know? Yeah. I definitely feel like she wasn't white. You see, I th- she yeah, was... she wasn't white, but she wasn't. Nece- she probably wasn't, you know, very dark skinned either. She probably just looked like a white girl with a tan. 
<laughs> like a very deep tan. Yeah, she probably looked like a person from the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, look at like what people from Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Egypt now or like, are like. like or like Southern Italy. Yeah, like what do they look like? That's probably what she looked like. Yeah. But for me, what she looks like, in this case, it does matter. Because it's like, this isn't a textbook. Mm -hmm. This is a documentary. The whole point of a documentary is it's a visual representation of history. Like, yeah, it's a like, video. In the, in the documentary, aren't both Caesar and Mark Antony kind of like olive-skinned white guys that are sort of like representations of what they sort of look like? So then it's like... You know what I mean? Then it feels yeah. like a little out of place. It's mm -hmm. like, well, if you're saying that it's very important that she is, uh, that the actress that plays her is dark-skinned, then it shouldn't matter if, like, Mark Antony's Hispanic. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like it does to them. Yeah. It's, it's inconsistency. And, like, you wouldn't make a documentary about native americans and say you do cast somebody who a was native american and looks like what they do at the time mm -hmm. and then have them running around in tuxedos because yeah or like, that's not what they looked like you wouldn't cast yeah. dwayne the rock johnson to play stephen hawking yeah you know so the the whole point of creating a documentary is like this isn't e fiction you know i like i don't care like people are complaining about like the little mermaid i, I don't mm -hmm. care it's a fictional story Who yeah cares? it doesn't matter she could be purple for all i care but this is supposed like this is supposed to be educational mm -hmm. right and to just wave it away and say nope she must be black there's no question no doubt case closed is just not true yeah. And also another thing is I feel like, you know, how you were talking about how Netflix has kind of doubled down on, like, that her being dark-skinned is how she looked like. I feel like that also hinders it as well, because if they came out with the stance of, oh, we're just making a colorblind documentary, we could have cast her as anybody, we just decided that this actress was the best for this role then it would have been, you know, a bit better. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I feel like because, like you said, they're, like, saying, well, this is the fact that we believe, then it's sort of like, well, I mean, there are Egyptologists that are going to disagree with you. You know what I mean? The country of Egypt disagrees with them. They're suing yeah. Netflix and making their own documentary. Yeah. Like, if you have a large branch of Egyptologists throughout the globe and the country of Egypt saying, you might be wrong, then, you know, you're probably wrong. Yeah. Like, if you have some professor at NYU that's like, yeah, you're right, then, all right, sure, that's one professor. But you might have another professor at another university in, like, Egypt, for example, that's like, yeah, I think you're wrong. That person probably also has a valid opinion, and they're, pro and they're from Egypt, so they probably have a more valid opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, yeah. It's hard because I definitely feel like having colorblind television is a good thing, but I still feel like there's a time and place for there to be like, all right, the people have to look a certain way because we're creating a historical, factual thing. Right. And I feel like this is sort yeah. of where the line's been drawn. 
Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, oh, let's make a colorblind documentary about Hitler and cast yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Like, I know. That was, it's just, like, that, would... that doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, it's supposed yeah. to be, to some degree, historically accurate. Or, in this case, it's a documentary. It should be very historically accurate, to the best of our knowledge. Yeah. And to the best of our knowledge, based on what we know, she probably was not black. Yeah, just as she probably was not white. She was somewhere yeah. in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. I don't know. But it's an interesting debate because it's like like I said, it's like where do you draw the line between colorblind television and historical fact? Uh probably when it becomes a documentary and not I Exactly. Think if see the that's not the thing. There was like the other controversy with uh Hamilton, the play, where yeah. they had uh, a black uh actor play Hamilton. That's like documentary ish because everything is true. But it's also designed to be not taken too seriously. Yeah, like this it's... is a documentary where, like, in theory, children at schools could be shown this. Exactly. It's kind of like imagine if, like, when the History Channel was making their documentary about the American Revolution, and George Washington was Asian. Yeah. That, I mean, like, maybe that actor was very good at playing George Washington, but. That actor doesn't necessarily look like George Washington, so you're losing that historical consistency. Because, <laughs> again, the people who are watching a documentary are caring about what it looks like, because otherwise they just read a Wikipedia page or a textbook. Yeah. So, and, and when you when it comes to a documentary, then yes, the, the I think you should be casting somebody that best approximately looks like who you're trying to depict. Yeah. Uh, no. Any other thoughts, opinions before we uh, wrap up here? Well, I'm not sure. I feel like it's definitely a ongoing issue that isn't. It ha obviously hasn't been resolved yet, especially like considering that the documentary is, you know, still there, and Egypt is still like suing Netflix and all of that <laughs> stuff. And it's definitely going to be interesting to see if this impacts any other further documentaries made by other, uh, like, streaming services in the future or if it doesn't at all. So I definitely feel like it's an ongoing issue that, you know, is definitely, like, stretching the boundaries of, like, modern TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it's good that we're trying to make sure that these documentaries are as close to what we understand of history as possible because that's their point. What's the point of making yes. it if they're not? Then you're just making a based off of history a fictional story. Yeah. It's not a documentary. Like, I feel like a good example is kind of like The Rings of Power. And all right, don't get me wrong. The Rings of Power has a lot of problems. But I feel like it's not the end of the world that the show is pretty colorblind because it's, you know, a fictional thing. It's not, like, fact. But, you know, history has facts, and when you meld the facts, then you're, like, you know... Well, you're retconning changing history. Changing reality. Yeah, you're this changing isn't reality. <laughs> Disney Order 66-ing Star Wars canon. Yeah. This is a literal retcon of history. Yeah. All right, that is going to be it for our episode. I hope you enjoyed. Of 
course, you can yep, see yep. all of our socials and stuff in the links below. We'll hopefully ha- – I don't know if we'll have next week because next week for me is final, so we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But until then, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Yep. Bye-bye.